crisis. Practical wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Eliane Ubelli-Joro. And she is an incredible woman. She is she serves on the board of the International Leadership Association. She is a doctor of molecular genetics, which I can't wait to hear from that. Originally hails from Rwanda, lives in Canada currently. Uh, she is a woman who has many different interests around STEM, leadership development, sustainability. I'm probably missing a bunch, Dr. Elian, but uh, is the, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? What have I missed in all of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you've covered a lot. I, I mean, I'm definitely also interested in in gender and 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 how gender interacts with STEM and sustainability. But yes, I think I think leadership matters. Leadership matters even more urgently now that we are in this COVID era. And um, my background as a scientist and my interest in leadership, I feel are intersecting right now in the world because not a lot of people uh, outside of the scientific field realize that the fact that we're facing this COVID crisis is an environmental crisis mm. because we are at a time in, in the planet where 60%, uh, we face 60% extinction rate in terms of um, species around the world. And that most over ninety percent of the landmass of mammals in the world is humans, pets, and livestock. So if you think about it, less than ten percent is giraffes, elephants, lions out there in the world. So so we represent the largest population at, for hosts for emerging diseases in the world. Wow. Yeah, and, and so the more people realize that we need to keep biodiversity in the world so that humanity can thrive and that we realize it's not about healthcare in a country, a state, but it's really about planetary health and how we're interconnected in it, the more we, we can really get out of this and, and really have a, a reset that changes how humanity relates to nature. Okay, so you you just I, I think that was a beautiful foundation from which we can explore. Before we started, I said I have no clue where this is going to go, and I'm excited. <laughs> okay, let's unpack a little bit of what you said. There's an intersectionality okay. between your interest in interest in the sciences and interest in sustainability and the welfare of our planet yes. with leadership. Yes, and talk more about how you see that, Elian, because. I think that's a beautiful perspective. How do you see those intersecting? So, you know, if we look at the, the, the climate crisis around the world, you, you have climate deniers and the people who believe in climate. And the reality is climate isn't a partisan issue. Climate is a scientific fact with yes. data that backs it. You know, if, if you're li living 
whether you're living in Miami, whether you're living in New York, whether you're living in Amsterdam, I mean, or Bangladesh, you can see that events are happening that are disturbing how you live and, and how, you know, floods, things are happening in the world at an intensity that we haven't seen. Yes. And so that is just the reality we need to face. And, and I think we, we, we live in a world where issues that are scientific based are being c- categorized as, as, as issues that correspond to a certain political affiliation. And there's something fundamentally dangerous about that because mm. there's human issues and then there are partisan issues. And some things should not be partisan issues. I think that's a really important distinction. And, and it's also a huge issue we're facing right now is how do we take care of humanity and how do we also look at what our personal values are, the values we'd like governments to have, corporations to have, and make sure that our desires are not conflicting with the welfare of humanity and the planet. Yeah. Well, and, and they seem to be, right? Yes. If, if I, I just watched a, a fascinating documentary on the BBC, it was David Attenborough. Okay. I don't know if you've watched that on Netflix. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. You're the third person that says I need to watch it, including my husband, who's already yes. watched it. <laughs> please, please do. Please okay, do. Okay. Because yes. we have loved, we have, my, my family, we have loved watching his work over the years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he's, of course, got that, that voice that is, yes. you know, so, Beautiful. so wonderful. And this episode, it literally kind of concerned our children it really got to them because we've mm-hmm. watched the very optimistic documentaries that have existed. And there's another one that's that Will Smith did called one strange planet, which is beautiful. It's wonderful. Yes, I've seen some of those but it's shifts are occurring. Mm-hmm. The science would back that. Yes. And to your point, it's not a political issue. It's a, it's an issue facing humanity. And what mm-hmm. do we do to, to solve for that? there seems to be a fundamental leadership challenge embedded in that because the people trying to solve for that in some ways are losing the influence battle, so to speak, just like the influence battle that the epidemiologists would have kind of wanted to communicate, you know, the process of influencing others towards a common vision, wear a mask, you know, that's, that's politicized. It, it's, it's occurring to various degrees, at least here in the United States, for sure, as we exponentially uh, increase in cases and deaths now. It's fascinating. And scientists by nature aren't, aren't really thinking about how to influence. They're looking for objective facts. So it's almost is it counterintuitive in some ways for them. Mm-hmm. They think that the logic should just uh, make the case and we're humans. <laughs> yes, and, and this is where I think science meeting indigenous wisdom is really important. Because huh. Indigenous wisdom really was, it has always been based on storytelling. What is our capacity to tell stories that, that speak to our minds, our hearts, and our souls? Wow. And, and I think what is needed in the 21st century is for scientists to really engage in speaking at those three levels. And, and it's not taught in programs in science, but it's a-, it's a Indigenous real- storytelling is not taught? It wasn't in your, <laughs> no, in your molecular genetic 101 course? It wasn't, it wasn't. But, you know, coming from Rwanda, I have, I have memories of my childhood sitting on the ground 
evenings around a fire and listening to an elder tell stories. Yeah. And those yeah. stories stayed with me. I may not remember the details of the stories, but how those stories made me feel are really important. Yes. And, yes. and Maya Angelou says, you know, we know, we don't remember, we may not remember what people said, but we'll remember how they made us feel. And so yeah. as scientists, we have to really think about that because facts, people will glaze over facts. But if you if you tell the story of a person who's been through something and has overcome that or, and had to find a creative way, you know, owning their their hero or heroine's journey in terms yep. of moving forward, that stays with us. That speaks to us. And, and it also speaks to the yearning in the world right now. If you look at the highest grossing movies around the world, mm. they're all about heroic journeys. Yeah, and 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 there are more and more of these big blockbuster heroic journey uh, movies coming out because we are yearning to own our personal heroes' journeys, and we don't know how to do that. And what often happens is when we feel that we don't have the power to do that, we will we will project that onto others and hope that they can lead for us. And and that's a bit of the danger we're faced today mm. because when we project that, then we don't feel like we really have power on the planet to change things, but we do. We definitely do. And I think what we need today is, is citizen power, citizens around the world realizing that everything they do matters, how they vote matters, whether they vote or not matters. Yes. And, and that every single thing we do, the choices of what we buy, the industries we support, all of it matters. And all of it is interconnected. Can we stick on this this storytelling for a little bit, mm-hmm. Eliane? Talk more about that. Talk more about how storytelling could, in some ways, transform mindsets. Because I think mm-hmm. it's a powerful insight. I really do. Because yeah. I, we, we have data that at least the attempts that have been made so far have not necessarily taken root right? The, I, I was mentioning the documentary with David Attenborough that we watched, and we watched the, the Greta Thunberg uh, documentary the other night as well. And that then, again, kind of worried our children more. But it's important for them to be aware of those issues. And it's important for them to see a young woman taking a stand and trying to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But tell, talk more about stories and talk more about how you think stories could shape and shift mindsets and change the narrative a little bit. I think it's okay. a fascinating insight. So, so if I think of Wangar Mathai, uh, who was a Kenyan Nobel laureate who won the Peace Prize for, for promoting tree planting, something as simple as planting trees. And, yeah. and uh, her movement, the, the Green um, Belt Movement, has I mean, took on, became a social movement beyond Kenya and, and allowed planting of over a billion trees around the world. And, and how she started out is she just, she had memories of her childhood where uh, river streams were clear, where there were these big trees where people could sit in the shade and, and tell stories. Yeah. And as those trees were being cut down, erosion was happening, flooding was happening how communities interacted was changing. The temperatures were rising uh, around the places where she lived, and that was influencing the rates of diseases like malaria. And, and so what she did is she really went from how do we tell the stories of where we come from mm. to realize that where we are has changed and that our environment has changed and that we can 
just by women coming together and planting trees together, we can work on these issues of erosion around flooding, of soils being able to hold more water so we can overcome uh, resilience when there are floods or when there's not enough water, that there's water enough in the soils to keep the ground cover green and beautiful and, and trees thriving and having places in the shade where we can sit and talk. And, and so connecting what we do with the stories that narrate our lives is really important. And I think for scientists, that capacity to do that is really important. There, there's a, a book that just came out in September called All We Can Save, that is okay. a, a compilation of essays uh, of women, mostly in the U.S., uh, of all origins, just stories about how their personal lives have been impacted by mm. climate change or how their work in social change, the resistance they face. But it's stories about how they're going about their days, what they're facing. So it's not just about giving numbers. It's about really concretely saying how are different populations affected? Why is it the most vulnerable populations are often poor and of color in terms of um, how cities are designed around the areas that are most susceptible. Often what we have is, is you can have wetlands. Wetlands are, are areas that normally are sponges. So they can hold a lot of water hmm. if there's really heavy, heavy rains. And when there aren't heavy rains, they can allow water to flow to the other areas. And so, but often what we've done is we've eliminated these wetlands and, and we've moved people in those areas. Mm. And often the people who live there are poor. And mm. so if we look at New Orleans, what yeah. happened yep. is, is, you know, after the, the terrible events that happened there, the, the, the black population, I think, halved mm. because people were never able to go back to the yep. areas they lived because they were places where the ecosystem was really fragile. And there were immense difficulties in figuring out how do we actually reclaim those areas for long term resilience. Yeah. And so and so it's when we tell stories, then people are like, oh, this is how this affects other people or this is how it affects me. Yeah. And and so those are the things that really matter. And if we if we think about, uh, you know, when Sandy hit the, the East Coast, people were like, oh, this is true. You yeah. can get flooding happening and coming <laughs> to Manhattan. This could get worse. Yeah. And so that's when people that that imagery, the, 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 the meeting of all our senses and science come together and we realize that this isn't about politics this is about humanity and survival i love what you just said that was beautiful so the meeting of all of our senses and science yes <laughs> that yes. might be the name of the episode <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and it's also interesting how i i was not familiar with that story the story of, and I, I can't even recall her name right now. Can you say it again? Nobel oh, Prize Oh, Wangari Mathai. Okay. I'm going to put her story in the show notes so, uh, okay, so listeners can, can find that. But I also love the framing. I agree we should save the rainforests. Yes, for sure. But that has a certain political connotation to it. Oh, they're left-leaning. They're... But if it's, hey, let's go plant trees, you know, not, not a lot of people are like, no, you're a liberal, <laughs> you know, you're a conservative. No. But, and so you're, you're shifting, you're shifting and doing good in the world and, and helping and a billion trees, was it? Yes. A billion? Yes. Yes. So interesting. 
it, and I, but but that's the type of thinking you know there was there's an interesting statement that was made and i don't know it may have been a psychiatrist but as soon as at least in the states and i'd love to get your thoughts on this elian as soon as as soon as it was framed as well if you wear a mask you protect others it, it's a very different framing than than wearing a mask and protecting yourself and it's very interesting that that subtle difference of what is going to drive human behavior and it's it's absolutely fascinating my family was in a national park probably mid october and I was absolutely amazed at the number of people who were not wearing masks on these trails, huffing and puffing up steep inclines. And the, the, the individuals are not able to consider others and put on a mask. And so my family has on the mask and we're sweating and, you know, it's, and it just blew me away. But how these things are framed and to the point of how, to, to what you just said of the stories that are being told and how this is being communicated and, and how we, in all reality, shape and shift the hearts and minds of others, incredibly difficult work. It, it, it's, 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 it's difficult work, but it's the most important work. Yeah, yeah. And, and so part of it, I realize, is also realizing that we don't all share the same worldviews. Yep. And so some people may be more individualistic. And yep. some people may believe in, in protecting community. And for the people protecting community, saying wear masks to protect others may be good. Yep. But for the people who actually are individualistic, you need to tell them wear masks to protect yourself. Yes. <laughs> and, and, so, and so it's working with what are the narratives that work. And, and, and I think in storytelling, there's the trickster. The trickster is always trying to figure out how to bring humor to our idiosyncrasies. And, yeah. and, and it's really important because the trickster has a sense of what it is our values are. And we work with our values to show us where we hold contradictions and do it in a gentle way that allows us to laugh at ourselves yes. without the resistance or violence that a political debate would bring on. And, and this is also one of the of the... Of the archetypes that I think uh, scientists need to come up today and, and work with. And uh, I think of um, the technology economist, historian, uh, Carlota Perez. And, and so she has studied how innovation has evolved over centuries. Mm. And one of the things she says is right now we're in the fourth industrial revolution, so digitalization and this virtual world that we're all really happy to be able to access to for many of us to keep working sure and and what she says is the next the fifth industrial revelation will be green mm. and, and and it's and what she says it's not about fear-mongering around this is the end of the world is how do we make green sexy how do we yeah. make it aspirational how yep. do we tell stories that make people want to associate it green with the most beautiful luxurious lifestyles having less but of better quality Yes, and, and so part of it is, and, and that can go against the rational mind because the rational mind is like, why should I appeal to that part of you that wants to dream? Mm. And, but if you think about it, who doesn't know uh, Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech. Sure. You may not know the whole, but you know this, how that resonates. And so part of it is touching the primal parts of us as human is really important. And, and also the reality that the, the rational brain doesn't resonate at the same level as compassion or love. And so mm. 
I can tell my child, okay, here's what I want you to do for rational reasons. <laughs> okay. Or I can say, you know, we're a family, we love each other and we take care of each other. And so you cleaning your room is part of you showing me that you care because of what I do for you and what you can do for me. So reciprocity. And yes. so then I'm talking at a heart level. I could say, I need you to clean your room because I want to limit microbial growth on your desk. <laughs> microbial growth. I love it. <laughs> that, that isn't going to work. That isn't going to work. And, and so, so this is the, the, the real importance we have today of what is it that uh, certain leaders who are nationalistic and who are having these powerful narratives that are capturing people because they are using storytelling. Yeah. They're not using it in the ways that I would like them to do in terms of increasing our, our interconnectedness and our capacity to, to, to vision and, and have action towards more sustainability in the world, but they're capturing minds. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm reminded of, of John Cotter. He had a book called Heart of Change. And in, in that book, there was a passage that always kind of stu- stood with me, which was the single most important message. This book is very simple. People change what they do less because they're given analysis that shifts their thinking than because they're shown a truth that influences their feelings. And that goes, that's counterintuitive for a science, a scientist. It's counterintuitive because I've given you the facts. I've given you the data. Now do the right thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus Cotter's perspective on that topic. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I think some individuals are incredible at weaving a storyline and, and whole media outlets are incredible at weaving a storyline in some cases on both sides. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and kind of picking and choosing elements that communicate that narrative. But I'm wondering, does the whole premise, Elian, almost go against scientific inquiry? This, do you come across scientists who think, well, why should I now go try and sell this? That's not my role. And that's not science. Well, here's the thing. I think I think part of it is is how we see our roles, and and yeah. there's a difference between I'm going to go out to sell this, yeah, I'm going to go out to educate people, yes. empower people, and influence people to uh, embrace science. Yeah, and and so I think it's really important, and this is the thing that, about mindset and worldviews is is it's important to work with scientists in ways that. They don't feel that they're selling because it's not about selling. Yeah. You know, it, it's about how does the hard work that they do have greater reach? Wow. Who doesn't want to have greater reach? Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's it's really important. And, and, and it comes down to, do we want to have transactional relationships with people or mm-hmm. transformational relationships? Yeah. And this is where, you know, the, you were talking about John Cutter, and that's why there's something amazing about his work in leadership and, and his, his definition of the differentiation between management and leadership, where he says yeah. management is, you know, controlling systems and things. And, and, and leadership is about imagining, designing new systems. Yeah. Yep. And for me, coming from a country in Africa that is one of the smallest fragile post-conflict countries in the world is we have to imagine everything. Mm. So what we're looking for aren't managers. We're looking for leaders that have the capacity to dream and to execute their dreams into reality. Yeah. 
And so that is all about leadership and transformation. And, you know, back to John Cutter in, in his change uh, um, series of books, the last one was was the on the iceberg and, and the, the colonies, I think, were of penguins. Was it yes, penguins? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. And so what he realized is that was this third iteration of, of how do we bring about change? He was like, I need to go storytelling. So this is a Harvard professor yes. <laughs> going from theory to here is a story of, of a colony of penguins and they're faced with an iceberg melting and, and how do they work as a community to figure out how to move forward? How do you identify champions? How do you tell stories in ways that people will be willing to let go of something? Because change is about loss. So managing loss is deeply emotional. Yes. And so this is where storytelling does something that science doesn't, is, is it connects to our heart and it has us aspiring to something that allows us to say, yes, I'm going to be losing some, something, but I will gain something. And so this is where change is really critical. And, and that's why I think he went to storytelling. And that's why I think it's important for scientists to go there. And what's also really interesting for me is if you look at most of the science Nobel Prize winners, many of them were also artists. So I think of Barbara McClintock, who was a geneticist, and she discovered something that at the time we called jumping genes. Yeah. She was a jazz musician. <laughs> You know, yep. and there's something about being able to be a scientist and have an artistic eye that we nurture that allows us to take our science and share it with people in unexpected ways that really can transform the world. I love it. I love it. And, and you said something in there that reminded me of the, the Ron Heifetz quote from Leadership on the Line. It was habits, values and attitudes, even dysfunctional ones are a part of someone's identity. And so to change the way people see and do things, that's actually changing how they define themselves, which makes the work even that much more complex in so many ways, right? That, mm -hmm. that it, if you had your way, would this education be embedded in the work of scientists? It, Absolutely. And, and I, is it anywhere in the world, Eliane? Is, is there someplace that an epidemiologist could go right now to help frame how they communicate, how they, how they educate, mm -hmm. how they influence others to make decisions in their best interest to, 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 to live a more healthy life at this moment. Mm -hmm. Is there any well, place? Well, so th there are places. It, I think of, of, of uh, leadership programs that are out there specifically for scientists. And there are some that are, um, I think of the organization Future Earth and their uh, leadership program for climate scientists. Okay. You know, it's part of how do you use your science in ways that allow you to empower, influence, and bring about change. In Rwanda, where I'm from, where the headquarters of the African Institutes of Mathematical Sciences is based, so they've had a series of Next Einstein Fellows, and, and I, I helped select the 2020 Fellows. And part of the fellows that, that win this uh, prize, what they have in terms of their the benefits is learning how to communicate and tell stories. Oh, nice. Yes. And so I do think this is something that is happening through different fellowship programs. It would be great that it becomes embedded in university programs. I think because of the concept of planetary health coming out and transdisciplinary nature of planetary health, yeah. There is a requirement for storytelling in terms of 
how we move that forward. And also, I think if you think about it, more and more you have conferences where you have infography where somebody is actually drawing the story of of the conversation that's being told. And this is something that is really allowing us to have dialogue turn into art that influences us. And, And that's also images have a capacity to bypass our barriers. And so, yes. and so part of becoming more powerful uh, in terms of what we do requires engaging in storytelling and, and art form. And you know, Howard Gardner, three characteristics of extraordinary leaders or people is- Was, this the lead, was that Leading Minds? Was that that book? Are you going back to Leading Minds right now? <laughs> That's well, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so he says capacity to, to, to re, well, reflection, cultivating daily reflection. Okay. Uh, capacity to frame and capacity to leverage. Yeah. So, so it's, what is our capacity to reflect on a re- like regular basis, whether it's meditation, it's running, walking in nature, any cultivating any type of art form or, 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 or prayer that allows us to ground and, and turn the inner eye and, and reflect inner. So we think about the inner game of leadership yeah, and then capacity to frame. What is our capacity to tell stories? So we have followers. Yeah. And then leveraging is, is how do we actually have that become into social movements that bring about changes that we could have imagined. Yeah. And, and so those are things are, I think are really important in terms of how do we look at extraordinary people and what they've done for good? And how do we leverage that in what we're doing so that whatever we do can have that much more influence yeah. in, in allowing humanity to transform towards greater sustainability. I love how you're thinking. I've never had this conversation before and it's so much fun. And it, it's reminding me, uh, you know, Steve Kempster from yes. Lancaster University, and I recorded a podcast with him it was a little bit of a different topic, but it's, you know, how do you use capitalism against itself to transform, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so one of my favorite quotes is every system's perfectly designed for the results that it achieves. Every system's perfectly designed for the results that it achieves. And that's been attributed to a bunch of different people, but we have data. Here we are, here's the system. And, and we have certain results. And so what new type of thinking, what innovations, what other areas can we learn from to help shift movement, to, to make progress, to, to help us make decisions that's in our best interest? <laughs> so, so this is really, right? it's, yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, uh, there's a concept that, that I find really interesting is the idea of stakeholder capitalism. Mm. How do we have capitalist systems that look at not only the stockholders, but really the stakeholders? Yes. And, oh, yeah. and, and so, and that changes how we, we look at systems. And so it changes the type of data we're looking at. And, and, and so it changes how we um, design for success and measure success. In September, I joined a new board called the Capitals Coalition. And the yeah. Capitals Coalition Supervisory Board... And, and so what the Capitals Coalition is all about is how do we count for nature, so natural capital, social capital, and human capital in all that we do? Wow. And how could we bring measurements around that, whether it's government, nonprofit, for-profit, but in everything we do? Yep. How is everything we're doing having a positive effect on nature? 
Yep. How is it having a, a positive effect on, on people's skills in terms of cam, human capital? How is it having a positive effect on terms of community building? Yes. And if we, so if we, if we frame everything we do to take all of that into account, that would transform how we go about all business, education, uh, taking care of everything. And so, so that's a concept that I find really interesting and holistic. And in a way, yeah. again, going back to indigenous wisdom, because indigenous wisdom is about looking at the whole and how we are part of, the, of, of something bigger. Yeah, yeah. Eliane, what else are you thinking about right now? What's what's some of the the thoughts that are keeping your mind? <laughs> well, not genetics, of... not genetics, this stuff, <laughs> not that stuff. We just leadership stuff. It's a different podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jumping genes and such isn't really the focus here. Whatever okay, those were. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I still think it's exciting. But, but part of it, part of it, you know, there are two things that I'm thinking about a lot right now. Is, yeah. is how do we cultivate mindfulness at a collective level? Mm. And how does that influence our capacity to get through highly anxious times? Because we are in highly anxious times right now. Yeah. And it's not about just me cultivating my mindfulness and my meditation, yoga practice, journaling, but it's it's how do we collectively allow everybody to have the safety to nurture their souls in this mm. world in ways that increases our collective vibration so that human consciousness is vibrating at a higher level. Yeah. And so that I would say is something that I, I deeply believe in and am committed to in terms of how do we elevate human consciousness. And also because of this virtual world we're in, how does digitalization or affect our capacity to elevate human consciousness or decrease human consciousness. And so part of it is as we're looking at artificial intelligence, digitalization, and, and this, this network that is connecting us virtually around the world, the cloud that we're, we're connecting with. Yeah. But if you think about spirituality and spirituality is in terms of what is it that connects all beings? Yeah. What is it that makes me part of the universe? Okay, and I'm going to go back to science just a little bit. But if you think <laughs> about it, is we we are all 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 our atoms are from stardust. Yeah. yeah. So we 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 are vibrating with the whole universe. Yes. And so if we really look at ourselves as as this web mm -hmm. web of knowledge and possibility universally. But then like now we're we're creating this digital web and so yeah. in a way this digital web is a reflection of the level of consciousness that we currently have yeah. and so i think there's a real importance of of saying how do we bring a cosmological worldview to the digital world so that it's not creating more bias but actually creating more interconnectedness and more interdependence more capacity to to live in a, a space of non-judgment of, of sharing more truth and science and not conspiracies. How do we, how do we do that? I, you know, just a small thing. I think it's great that Twitter now, you know, will, will sometimes write, okay, this is not something that uh, is fact-based, you know, so, yeah. so there, things are happening. Yeah. And I think the more uh, people can, can have those little notes around that says, you know, this person said this, but this is not 
the facts as we know them. So part of it is how are we bringing ethics and consciousness to the digital world in ways that really increase our capacity for working with truth. And and I think that's a real issue for leaders around the world is, is, is as we evolve in the VUCA world and all this turbulence, in order to really be able to have that vision, understanding, clarity, and agility, we need to have truth and facts that we work yeah. with. Yeah. And when we don't, well, we're not able to move forward in an agile way that transforms positively. That's a big, that's, that's, that's big thinking. <laughs> <laughs> You're at 60,000 feet, my friend. <laughs> but this is why storytelling Global collective is consciousness. I love it. I love it's it. It's important because it, it, we need to ground it. We need to ground it. Yeah. And, and to your, to your point, I, I love how you're framing, how do we use the, the digital space that we're living in and emerging into, and how do we use that for good? And how do we use that? Because to your point, Twitter can be a cesspool. It, in some ways, it's a reflection of some of the worst components of humanity. It's also a reflection of some of the best. And how do we elevate the truth and the best and in some ways you know what what is it that that attracts humans and again the the marketers and in some cases the media they know how to frame it beautifully it's like an oreo for the mind right they know it's going to get clicked because and even if it's healthy or not they know that it's going to get clicked and how do we combat some of that because uh, framing the world in a different way and to your point, helping us be more mindful, helping us see the good and live in the good and know that we have agency in creating the good. I think that's mm-hmm. another huge component that you mentioned earlier, that I, I can make a difference. I, I can't wait to explore the story of, of the Nobel Prize winner who has been a part of planting a billion trees. It's a beautiful story. Thank you. Yes. No, and, and I had I had the privilege of meeting Wangari Mathai before she died. And so I, I feel very connected to the work she did. And and uh, for me, it's it's how can we keep growing her legacy? And it's it's really important to to all that I do. And I, I'll send you some references of different books that she wrote and books Please. that were written about her. And so like my daughter you know, as a toddler, she she had the bio for toddlers of Wangari Mathai because that was important to me. Yeah, and and you know, part of it is you know, both you and I are both parents. How do we raise children in this world mm-hmm. so that they become conscious transformational leaders? And yeah. so, my daughter um, years ago, I, I was invited by a friend, um, Michelle Buck, who's a professor at the Kellogg Business School at Northwestern. And she was teaching with Deepak Chopra, The Soul of Leadership. And, yep. and I remember at the time, my daughter was two and, and I was a new mother and I was still struggling to take in all these roles. And I remember crying in Deepak's arms and he's like, don't worry, just start meditating and everything's going to be okay. Wow. And, and I went home and I started meditating. And after a month, my husband's like, what's wrong with you? You're different. <laughs> <laughs> And what I did is I had my daughter start meditating. So for for every age, so it's two minutes at two, three minutes at three, you know, Uh. four minutes at four. And now she's 16. And so there's there's a groundedness she has around that. And and so for years she she grew a summer garden. And so part of of her taking care of the garden was 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 weeding, was was planting um 
flowers that had insecticidal properties so that they kept everything oh, I love it. for food, yeah. you know, well. And so it allowed her to, to connect with the food system. She grew so much basil that we had pesto for the whole winter. <laughs> and, and if you think about it, it's, it's so here's a yard. She designed that space and she decided what she wanted to grow there and she would decide okay this doesn't need to be here and she would you know pull out the weeds and and i think it's really important as we educate the next generations that they take that vision of taking care of a garden in their relationship with the cyber world with digitalization with the web yeah. is how are you interacting with the web to nurture your soul or just to feed cravings yeah yeah. <laughs> you know, Did you say feed cravings or crazy? I can't, I don't. <laughs> it can be both. It can be both. And, and, and it's very interesting because, you know, I mean, you probably get that too, where friends of friends and, you know, children, people send you people and say, oh, yeah. you know, advise them, coach them, they're yeah. lost, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll recommend different sources that they can go to, to nurture themselves. I'm just thinking of your podcast. It's like, yeah. there's so many really positive nurturing sources out there that people can really use to cultivate wellness to, yep. to increase their capacity for positive action to increase their capacity to reflect on their leadership style for more power and for influence and and for the greater good yeah and and so i'm like why is it that most people are unaware of these resources i yeah. there's so many out there that i'm unable to take in all of the positive things that i see and i I follow people that I find amazing on Twitter. Yeah. You know, I interact with interesting people on LinkedIn who are challenging me to grow and think bigger. And, and so these are things that, you know, part of it is, is, is if you think a garden, you can have a beautiful garden that grows organic, nutritious foods, or you can have a neglected garden that, yeah. you know, just has a bunch of weeds that will cause allergies. Yes. Yes. And, and, and so it's a this great is metaphor. Really, Yes. And so it's fate or destiny. Are we consciously designing our destiny? Wow. And that's really where leadership comes in. And that's where what we do with children when they're, when they're young will determine their agency. And, and you know, I go back to the saying that at, attributed to Einstein, whether it's true or not, is yeah. you believe that the universe um, is, is, a, is, is a loving universe or not. Hmm. You know, and whether you believe that will determine everything in your life hmm. because you'll see everything that will happen. Will you take it as a victim or will you say, Hmm, what can I learn from this? How yep. can I grow from this? How can this help me help others? And how can this help me on this journey? That is my life. Because yeah. when you don't believe that, that the, the, the universe is on your side, you're always asking, well, why is this happening to me? And this yeah. isn't the journey I'm supposed to have. Yeah. 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 And and so if you just accept this is the journey I'm having and everything that is happening to me is, is helping me grow my capacity to love and to act and to be of service to others and to myself and my growth, then there's curiosity with everything that shows up. Yep. And and this is where, you know, are we creating enabling frameworks or yeah. Yeah. frameworks that bring more resistance? Yep. Yep. Enabling frameworks. That's a whole that that's what we will discuss next time. <laughs> we will start with enabling frameworks. Okay. Now, real quick before we, we close down for the day, 
what are you reading, streaming, listening to? What what are those resources that you turn to that are appreciative, are life giving, that are motivating? Yes. So you know, I think I I mentioned it right now. I'm 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 looking at a book called All We Can Save, and it's called it's um. The, the subtitle is True Courage and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. Okay. And it's Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson and Catherine Wilkinson. Great. So that's one of the books uh, that I, I'm, I'm really enjoying right now. Uh, a more difficult read that I'm also engaging with is Cast, The Origins of Her Discontents, Isabel oh. Wilkerson. Okay. It's it's a, it's a difficult read around how uh, race issues in the U.S., over centuries has resulted in where we are and how this can help us understand the division that is present and how this can um, help us um, move towards um, healing. So, yes. so it, it's, it's a difficult read, but it's a, it's a beautiful read. And, and the other one by uh, Pavan Sukhdev is, is Corporation 2020, is how can the corporations today help us move towards a more environmentally conscious world that takes into uh, the natural capital, the social capital and human capital into account. Yeah. Well, and, and I didn't say this when, when we were talking in that little segment of this, of this discussion, but I think sometimes there's a dichotomy in our minds that you can't be successful if you're sustainable. And I think you can be right? You can be wildly successful in a capitalistic system and do good in the world and take care of your employees. It's, it's, it's a both and, right? Yes. yes, yes. And, and you know, <laughs> that's and this the is, sweet spot. <laughs> it's the sweet spot. And this yeah. is, you know, what, when we teach polarities and managing polarities, it's about the and. Yes. And, and it's what is our capacity to hold creative tensions. Yes. And, and that goes in what is our capacity to hold diversity and whether it's diversity in terms of human diversity and everything that is, is, is being uh, promoted right now in terms of how do we accelerate uh, social justice and inclusion, diversity and, and equity in the world. But mm -hmm. it's also how do we do it in the natural world in terms of bringing back biodiversity and, and having a more resilient world and not just think about efficiency and 20th century manufacturing, you know, mechanical yes. visions but really a, a biological systems view of if we're if earth is an organism you know and parts are the heart or the liver you can't say i want to have a heart and no liver you need all of it you need the lungs in the rainforest yes yes <laughs> and so you need can, the lungs <laughs> yes and, and so part of it is, is how do we look at humanity in that way? And how do yeah. we embrace institutions like the World Health Organizations and, and, and what they do for us collectively? And how do we work with these institutions towards positive transfer? We are going to start where I said we were going to start enabling frameworks next time. It's been so <laughs> much fun having a conversation. Thank you so much, Elian. I really, Thank really you, appreciate Scott. it. Thank you. This was fun. Okay. Thanks. Have a great day. Okay. You too. I am super confident that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Elian is just such an incredible thinker. That conversation could have gone on for hours and, and it will continue. I think it's the only, well, it's the second episode I've named before we had the conversation, but we're going to call the next one Enabling Frameworks. 
Elian did a wonderful job of help reminding us, reminding us the importance of storytelling. And she said a couple of things that, that it connects our minds, our hearts, and our souls. And she also said that when all of our sen- sense, she also said when all of our senses are triggered and that meets science, when that comes together, uh, there's some powerful, powerful results that it can occur. So the practical wisdom here is storytelling and the importance of storytelling in leadership. Until next time, have a great day, everybody. Take care and be well. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.